Welcome to Boomeranging, from expat to repat, a podcast that explores the question, what could be so hard about returning home after years living overseas? I'm your host, Margot Anderson, and in each episode, I will sit down with a former Aussie expat to discuss how they survived repatriation and reverse culture shock, how they navigated the logistics of careers, friends, and family to successfully find their new place at home, and all without losing their global spirit. If you have just returned home, are thinking about it, or just love a good yarn told by professional globetrotters, then I have no doubt you'll enjoy meeting this diverse group of Australians. Trina Blair will be the first to admit she didn't want to come home from New York. In her two and a half years, she had met all three of her New York goals, to volunteer at the Met, to study at NYU, and to secure a role. And she was happy, very happy. But a career opportunity back home for her husband meant their New York dream had come to an end. Well, at least for him. For Trina, three months of thinking and a carefully worded 30-second conversation with a stranger in Sydney created an opportunity that helped her keep her New York dream alive. Today, Trina is the founder and CEO of FD Global Connections, specialists in US market entry strategies for Australian companies. Using her experience of the US market, particularly New York, she has created a niche service for Australian businesses and a legitimate excuse to regularly travel to her favourite city outside of Australia. I'm keen to understand how she created this Sydney, New York life and what role that 30-second conversation with a stranger played. So welcome, Trina. Oh, thank you, Margo. Great to be here. Thank you for joining us. Where are we chatting with you today? I am in Sydney, uh, Sydney hometown and happily out of lockdown. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Yeah, we're day one today, so we are very excited here in Melbourne as well. Now, before we hear about your life in New York, are you able to share a little bit about what life looked like before you left? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually am a Melbourneian. Um, having grown up in regional Victoria, I worked in Melbourne for a short time and then transferred up to Sydney. So that was about, uh, oh, do I want to say 30 years ago? <laughs> um, and so I was transferred up with work, which was great. And um you know, lived in Sydney for 20 years, you know, before we moved to New York. So I had an amazing network, family, friends. I knew, you know, my job um, and, uh, you know, into sport and community and so forth. So it was a, it was a great, it was a great life. So you were firmly established. Yeah, firmly established in, in Sydney, um, um, but there was a flicker of something else going on. Yeah. So, I mean, was living abroad something that you'd ever thought or considered or um, you and your husband, had, it came up for him, I understand. Was it something that was on the radar beforehand? Were there early seeds planted in overseas life? For me, absolutely not. I was not leaving Australia. You know, <laughs> I said to my husband, we're not going anywhere. We're, you know, we're big travellers that want to come back home. He, however, had always had a dream. And ever since he was a little boy, he wanted the big bird experience. Ah, there you go. <laughs> and so over the years, you know, that was always that sort of glint of um, exploration and opportunity to live in New York. And I do remember saying to him, but I'm not living over there. I'm not staying over there. I want to come home. You know, that was the, the dream for him. And um, I'm so glad that he did. 
Yeah, wonderful. And that opportunity came through his work. And you equally had a big career in Sydney before moving overseas. What was that? So I worked at one of the big banks, uh, one of the big four for 13 years. Um, I worked in the payments business uh, for 10 years and uh, my last role in the bank was head of marketing for the retail bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was an amazing uh, organisation. I love my last role. Before that, I was one of the early employees at Optus, um, so involved in a startup, if you like. Wow. And uh, and that was an incredible experience and really gave me exposure to the expat life because the shareholders in or the investors in Optus were from the US, Bell South, and the UK, Cable and Wireless. And there are a lot of those uh, leaders from those businesses in Australia establishing Optus. So that was a great introduction to me into, you know, a, an international career, if you like. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So you and your husband head to New York. You've you've had to give up your role here. Um, and I remember when you spoke at one of our events, you you talked about how when you landed and he went off to work, you you all of a sudden realised that the extent of your network was the doorman. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you establish yourself? Well, you're right. It was the doorman. He was my best friend for a while. Um, so I had a couple of goals. And you mentioned, you know, I had three goals. I'd really thought about before we got into New York. Number one was to volunteer at the Metropolitan Museum, uh, which I did on the very first weekend. Wonderful. Um, number two was to study at NYU, mm-hmm. um, which I did. I did a, a public relations and communication uh, diploma. And mm-hmm. the third one was, was I good enough to get a job over there? You know? <laughs> To work on Manhattan, to secure a role on Wall Street, you know. Um, and so they were my three goals. And and in order to achieve all of those, I really, I really had to put myself out there in ways that, you know, I've never done before because in Sydney, as you heard, I had the network. I knew, I thought I knew everybody and I did have a really deep network, but over there I knew nobody. Yeah, well, you certainly hit your three goals out of the park and you did. You set about strategically crafting your network. So how did you do that? Like what was your approach? Uh, well, in in order to secure the job, I went to an executive recruiter and, you know, I was new to New York and and uh, and he said, so who do you know? And I said, well, nobody. And he said, are you on LinkedIn? And I, and, and I said, uh, what's LinkedIn? <laughs> <laughs> so this was what year? This was 2007. Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn was relatively mm. in the US, I think, but certainly very few uh, people on it in Australia. And so my naivety and ignorance of LinkedIn at that time was very much in the headlights. Yeah. Um, and so he gave me this executive recruiter, gave me some tips about different um, networks that I should tap into in the industry that I was looking at working. So I started going to networking events, but then I got onto LinkedIn and that was all the difference, getting on. And I understand that you also went, okay, I'm going to find Australians who are on LinkedIn and I'm going to see if I can build connection with them and maybe maybe tap into their local intel, so to speak. And the opportunity evolved from there. Is that correct? It did. So what I did, I, I was very strategic in the companies that I wanted to work for. Mm-hmm. And so on LinkedIn, you can um, select the companies 
And then you can see who works there. So once I identified the companies that I was really keen to work for, I then went through the companies and I looked for Aussies. And I reached out to them, um, not to say, hey, I want a job, because you never do that. Yeah. For me, it was about learning about the market and, and learning, you know, the you know, basic things like what's a resume look like? Because it's very different in the US, the resume, that what it is in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I came across um, a number of really great Aussies and they were willing to, you know, spend time to have a coffee with me just to teach me about the market and the industries and so forth. And one of those um, is uh, Jane Holman, who's working at the organisation um, that I was interested in. And um, we had a coffee and she was so generous in sharing her network, sharing her knowledge. And she was also in HR, so really helped me with yeah. my resume. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, and Jane had lived, you know, she'd moved from Melbourne and lived on Manhattan for a number of years. And uh, and over time, you know, Jane and I really connected and she contacted me one day and she said, hey, here's a job for you in the company that I work in. I think you'd be amazing and I'll sponsor you. And the yeah. rest is the rest is history. So for those who don't know Jane, Jane was actually one of our guests in the first series and told her story. So you'll have to go back and have a listen to that. Um, But can you share a little bit about the role that you landed and what the next sort of subsequent 18 months, two years look like for you, Trina? Yes. So the position was uh, vice president uh, for the Americas for the marketing division in corporate travel. Mm -hmm. And I remember my very first day because I think it was Obama's inauguration. And so that was one memorable moment. But the other memorable moment was I walked into, I'd had 10 interviews. You know, there was this Mm. girl and who is she? So all the leadership team wanted to obviously meet me and make sure that I was the right fit culturally. And I remember walking in uh, on my first day. So the Obama inauguration was going on. So that was a massive event for the country, a historical event. But I walked in onto the floor and with the HR leader and she, uh, I looked around and, you know, there were about four or five people. I thought, oh, everyone's watching the Obama inauguration or they're at training or something. And I said, oh, so where is everyone? And she said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, I understood that I've got 45 staff in my team and, you know, I'm really keen to meet them all. And she said, no, 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 no. They don't work in the office. They're all over the Americas. What do you mean they're all over the Americans? (laughs) They they all work from home. And I go, oh, my gosh, I've never led a virtual team before. And so I just had to get up to speed really, really fast on leading a virtual team. And in those days we didn't have video conferencing. It was all telephone. Amazing. Incredible learning experiences. And it just, I think that is when we step into bigger markets um, at, you know, your whole world opens up as to ways of working, you know, not the diversity of, yeah. of, of people, of ways, et cetera. It's just, it's a phenomenal time. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. So you have these amazing two and a half years. Um, you were probably the one that was a little bit reticent initially to go. And then your husband lands a dream role back here. You thought you were going for quite an extensive period of time. So how did you feel when that unfolded, when that conversation landed at the dinner table? Yeah, so my husband's dream role was to be a full-time staff specialist at a public hospital. Um, And, you know, a lot of specialists obviously go into private rooms. Um, He really didn't want to go down that path. He's, 
he's very committed to public health services. So when he got the call from um, Liverpool Hospital, um, he got off the phone and it was one of those moments where you go, darling, I'm so happy for you. And then you go, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was it was a mixed emotion for both of us because, you know, living as much as I was, but equally this was his dream job and what he'd studied forever to achieve. So, yeah, so that's what brought us home. So you you jump on the plane and you return to Australia. This time you return with a role, though. You come back with the organisation that you were working for. How do you think that supported your return? Oh, it, it made it so much easier as an expert coming back into Australia. Coming back with a job was um, a blessing. And, you know, I know so many uh, repats come in without work and it's really, really difficult to work. So I, I feel very blessed that I did have that uh, by returning. Um, but the other thing was, you know, when when we did get on that plane, you know, the tears are streaming down the eyes going, oh, my <laughs> gosh, I'm going to New York. When am I going to be back? But luckily for me, my leader was in New York and so every quarter uh, leadership meetings I Oh, geez, sorry, I have to go back to New York. <laughs> I think that's such a, a lovely thing too because it really supports the transition then. You know, you still you, you still feel connected to the life that you've built because, as yes. we know, returning home is, is as much an emotional transition as it is a professional transition or a life transition. So how long were you with them before FD Global Connections was born? Like what was the story that sort of linked those two? Yeah, so I think I was... They're three years. So I returned to an equivalent position in Australia and then um, and then promoted into general manager for the business. Um, what was really required at that time was the business was not performing well. Mm-hmm. So my job was to turn the business around over those three years, which, which I achieved. And then at the end of that, I was offered a position in another uh, department, which again was having some challenges, but it was in a in an area that I'd worked extensively for previously in a product line, and so it really didn't offer me any challenge. And so I very happily took a package, and then you know took some time off. Whether I wanted to go back into another big corporate role. Uh, or whether I wanted to do something very different. And at that time, I was thinking about being a full-time um, company director. And in fact, I did qualify uh, as a, a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and um, sit on boards now. But um, I started um, FD Global Connections in 2014. Um, and uh, that that's, yeah, what I do today. And we heard in the intro that there was a chance meeting and a really pivotal conversation, a 30-second conversation that really, I guess, unlocked some opportunities for you and for your new business. Can you share with us the backstory to that? Yeah, it's one of those um, serendipitous moments. You don't realise what you're saying at the time. So um, as I mentioned, I graduated from the ASCD as a company director and I was actually at an event of this and I sat next to someone I didn't know and we literally had 30 seconds to introduce each other before the guest speaker came up on stage. And he looked at me and he said, so what's your pitch? And I said, payments, travel, lived and worked in New York. And he looked at me and he gave me his card. He said, you must 
call me tomorrow. I go, ah, okay. So I rang him the next day and he explained to me that they are a Sydney-based company, very well established with an office in the UK as well, and they were an expense management payments software developer. They'd also developed software for the travel industry and they needed somebody to establish their New York office and they had no idea what they were going to do. It's amazing. So that was, <laughs> that was where FD Global started and I worked with them, you know, on a contract basis under the company for two and a half years, um, got them established in New York and um, they're doing amazingly well now. And the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> I think, though, it's such a powerful story about, yes, the elevator pitch, but that real, really having a well-articulated, well-thought-through positioning statement, you know. It's just you never know where the opportunities are going to come from. Yeah. And I think it's just something that we talk to over and over again. So I, I love that story. And I, I guess since launching your business, you've taken some of Australia's best and brightest entrepreneurs and business to, to New York. Can you um, also give us a little insight about the types of businesses and I guess sectors that you've worked with? Yeah, I, absolutely. So originally I started mostly with financial services or fintech and regtech and insuretech. Um, that was obviously my corporate background. But over the years, oh my gosh, I've worked with such amazing businesses from all different sectors. Um, so I've worked with a professional service company. Uh, Philip Campbell is the CEO, took them into New York, launched them there. I've worked with a, a retailer, um, Minnow Designs, which are um, toddlers' beach uh, shoes, Amazing. which are incredible. I've worked with a luxury uh, spa, Melanie Grant, um, mm -hmm. who uh, is absolutely amazing young woman. Um, she's, I believe, the only uh, representative of Chanel in Australia and she gets flown into the New York Fashion Week and Paris Fashion Week to do all of the facials and uh, for the models. So I launched Mal into Los Angeles on Melrose, Melrose Drive. Okay. <laughs> um, which was incredible. Um, I've worked with ASX-listed medical device companies. So, uh, yeah, absolutely incredible businesses that I've had the honour of, of representing in the U.S., and just, I mean, it's just such gorgeous growth stories, you know, to just yeah. see see that happen and come to life. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, network networks have clearly played an important part in your success, right from the days of the doorman and the LinkedIn <laughs> story right through to what you do today. Yeah. And I think you've got a great example of your Met Gallery experience that networking just doesn't have to take place in your profession. Can you share how your volunteer experience at the Met helped a future business initiative from Australia? Yeah, this was just one of those other pinch yourself moments. So it was actually an International Women's Day when um, this young lady came along and she was producer for a company called AGB Events. Mm -hmm. And that's as much as, you know, I knew about her at that stage. Um, a few days later, she rang me and she asked me if I would be interested in meeting the CEO of AGB Events, um, Anthony. And um, of course, yes. So I went and I met with Anthony and they knew the work that I did with FD Global. Um, and he um, asked me if I would be interested or available to um, source 
museums for one of his exhibitions, Beauty Rich and Rare. Now, what he didn't know, and Olivia didn't know either, was my volunteer experience at the Met. So when I mentioned that to him, it just blew them away. They, mm. they just, you know, they, it just blew them away. And so they couldn't believe that he was somebody, you know, with that experience and they were looking exactly for an organisation like the Metropolitan Museum for their incredible exhibition, Beauty Rich and Rare. And um, and so we worked together really closely and there's such a, a wonderful uh, team. Anthony's amazing. Uh, and for those listening who know Sydney Vivid Light Festival, he was the original creator of that. Amazing. Um, they've mm. just uh, finished the um, the light show for Dubai Expo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he his mind is incredible. And what he delivers is amazing. So being able to represent um, Anthony and go into the museums uh, in New York um, and also in Washington and talk about Beauty Rich and Rare and the exhibition and what it means, uh, what it means to the First Peoples as well in Australia um, was was such an honour. We had two offers and the, the where we ended up was such a thrill. Mm. So we walked into the Smithsonian Museum, the National Museum of Natural History, and we were the very first Australian company to be offered um, to be showcased at that museum, and we were also the very first digital exhibition they'd ever offered. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It is such an incredible reminder about how our worlds come together and that, you know, we're not just on Saturdays and Sundays a social being and on Mondays to Fridays, you know, our corporate being or our work being. But And I think we see that really, that real richness when we are living overseas. And so when we come back, it's just so wonderful to be able to bring those networks together. And, you know, it's one thing that expats have is international networks that can really add value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to be to remember to maintain your international networks when you're back, I think also is is so important. It is really clear. How is launching into New York different from launching into other parts of the US, such as the West Coast? Yes. So what I advise uh, my clients is that they must remember the US is fifty states. It's not one market. And so every state is different. So you have your federal taxes, which apply obviously nationally, but then every state can set their own tax rates, their own regulations, sometimes speak different languages, you know, culturally they're different. The work, what they wear to business meetings is different. And so these are the things that are really important for Australian businesses to understand. So when I hear a business say, oh, we're launching in the US, I'll say, so which market is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I said, every state is a market. And so um, so that's one of the biggest traps that a lot of Australian companies fall into when they're looking at the US market. Yeah, it's really about developing that unique or bespoke strategy for that market, yeah. Yeah, it is. And if, you know, I use the example of New York. So from a tax perspective, only from a tax perspective, you know, you have your federal tax then you have your state, New York state tax, you yep. can have a county tax, and then you also have your city tax. Mm. So that's just an example of the complexity only of the tax system, let alone all of the other regulations that go along with it. Yeah. 
You describe expats as good networkers because when you're an expat, you're generally listening and interested, often because our very life depends on it (laughs) and we have to be very present. Do you think you're a better networker now for your experiences as an expat? I am. And if I look back at my Sydney network before we went overseas, I now consider that my my network ability to be very lazy. I I took for granted Mm -hmm. um, and not realising that you have to work at your network. You know, you, you and you have to be authentic with your network. The other, the other thing that I learned was that um, it, it's so valuable to have a network. And I realised that when I got to New York, and I just didn't know anybody. Mm. And so, mm. nourishing the network, being authentic, and listening. Um, and we all hate going to networking events, but I, before going to New York, loathe networking events. You know, I'm, I'm not an extrovert in any way, shape, or form, but. Nevertheless, I just loathe the thought of having to go to an event and give out my business card, really. Yeah. It, it is such a catalyst and an enabler. It can take away the heavy lifting for us. And I think until we don't have it around us, we almost don't value what it brings to the table, the nuances of those things. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think the other thing for me and what I've changed in terms of how I network today is that I will obviously decide the events that I want to go to, but I don't go with an agenda. Mm. I go in with the the opportunity to learn something and also to give something. And so it's not a matter of swap, you know, swapping business cards. It's what can I learn from, you know, these people, this person I'm talking to, and what can I give back? Yeah. Because I've changed that, it's me about giving as opposed to getting. Find it a much more enjoyable experience. And I think that curiosity is such a key point, like being really open and curious. So to sort of think about, you know, yes, it's the listening, but it's the what questions are you asking, you know, to to demonstrate that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do you um do you think your networking's changed over the last two years? Like, or how have you nourished or maintained your network during this time? It, it's it, I've had to have lifted the the level of engagement because uh, you know it's not in person anymore. Um, it, it is all virtual, as we all know. So you know things. Um, so examples include you know on LinkedIn, I'm massive user of LinkedIn. Yeah, and yeah. you know always responding to those that I'm connected with. You know whether it's a new job or an anniversary or there's an article and sharing. That's been really important, but also, um, you know, reaching out on email or organising a virtual call, particularly last year when New York was ravaged by the virus. So a lot of my colleagues, families uh, were impacted and just touching base and say, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do? And there's there was um, a book uh, that I've um, sent over to a number of friends and colleagues in New York that um, they they all really appreciated. But having someone think about them and quite a as well. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point around being present, you know, showing up. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it doesn't have to be, as you said, always with an agenda, but somewhat, sometimes just genuinely asking how people are is so important. Do you think men and women are different networkers or I'm interested to sort of see how that's played out in your world? 
Yeah, so there's been an interesting article um, or research published earlier this year about the differences between men and women uh, networking during COVID. And what they showed was that networks on average reduced by about 16%, so about 200 people on average. What was really interesting was for men, their network reduced more than women. And the reason for that, according to the research, is that men network best when they're out doing so they're on the golf course, they're going to football games, you know, they're out doing something. And that's when that's their networking um, strategy. Whereas women, we talk. And so, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> For virtual calls, you know, this this is other than, you know, having the video on all the time, you know, this is actually more natural for us. So women's networks have not reduced as much. In fact, they found yeah. they've rarely reduced. So I, I found that really interesting. In fact, last week I had a, um, a virtual meeting set up with a, a female colleague here in Sydney. And um, before the uh, meeting, she emailed me and she said, would you mind if we just had a telephone chat? She said, yeah. <laughs> You know, the video calls and said, oh, my God, absolutely. It's really interesting in in that it's demonstrated that men and women do network differently. We always suspected it, but validated it. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear it validated. And it, you know, it does make sense when, I mean, if I think about my networks and, you know, how the men have naturally networked, as you say, they've attended events or they've, you know, they've partaken in something together through action. Yeah. Yeah. Sydney and Melbourne are both emerging from lockdown and we're looking ahead to international borders opening. After such a significant period of shutdown, how do you think this will impact the way businesses enter the US market? Um, I think it will be like a lot of what organisations are doing and there'll be a hybrid strategies, more so than what mm. they used to be. We're all accustomed now to using Zoom and other video technologies. And we also understand that uh, sometimes it's easier setting up a virtual call and setting up an in-person meeting. Yeah. Uh, so I think there'll be a com- much more of a, a hybrid model. Maybe initially it will be those virtual calls to the introductory meetings, the demos, but then once you get to contract stage, then it will be, you know, fly over and and, and have the meetings on that yeah, in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see how this unfolds and whether or not that will sustain or be that way long term. I think there's something else coming in here as well. And um, <laughs> to be a little bit controversial, I, I guess, you know, it's all about climate change. And I think what we've seen in the last um, 18 months, two years, is that there is significant focus on on the climate agenda at the moment and businesses are really thinking deeply about their carbon footprint and therefore I think that's also going to play in decisions about how much international flying they do. Yeah. Oh, Trina, I could talk all day about what you do <laughs> and, and your love of networking and mine I think is so shared. Um, so I've really enjoyed your insights today. Mm. Um, we do finish all of our um, interviews with five quick questions, so I'd love to pose those to you now. Absolutely. Living overseas taught me what about myself or opened my eyes to what? Uh, living overseas taught me confidence. 
Ah, nice, nice. The number one skill I use today in my business from my life overseas is? A better networker. Yeah, great. The best thing I have discovered since arriving home is? Creative ways of returning to New York. Ah, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I might have to get some tips from you for that. Um, The first thing I'd encourage a new repat to do is? Join in sync network. Ah, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> that was not prompted. Prompted, uh- <laughs> and it's such a valuable network to talk to those that have returned. We've got that lived experience, and also we're here to support them as well. Yeah, the generosity of spirit is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. A word, song, or quote that best describes my time overseas is. New York concrete jungle where dreams are made of. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Trainer. It's been a delight. Thanks, Margot. A pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review, share it with your friends and family, and subscribe for future episodes. For more information on our guests, please head to our website, insyncnetworkgroup.com where you can check out the show notes and also find more information about our fabulous community and membership offerings.